Today's podcast is brought to you in part by Paceler AG, the makers of PRTG Network Monitor. PRTG monitors your whole IT infrastructure 24 by 7 and alerts you to problems before users even notice. Find out more about the monitoring software that helps system administrators work smarter, faster, and better by visiting Paceler.com today or just Google PRTG. In January 2018, the Wi-Fi Alliance announced that WPA3 was coming, a collection of security enhancements to address issues with WPA2. And today we discuss WPA3 with Dan Harkins, a scientist at Aruba Networks, a Hewlett-Packard enterprise company. Dan has been closely involved with WPA3's development, and I heard Dan present on his work at Aruba Atmosphere 2018 in March of this year. And Dan was kind enough to join us today for a preview of what's coming with a special focus on one aspect of WPA3 that interests me personally, opportunistic wireless encryption. Dan, welcome to Packet Pushers. Thank you for joining us today. And as I said, we're going to do an an overview of WPA3 during the whole course of this thing, and then we're going to spend a little time going deeper into uh, opportunistic wireless encryption. So Dan is... Maybe at a high level here, let's not get too technical yet, but what are the main issues with WPA2 that are being addressed in WPA3? Uh, Thanks for having me. The main issues are that WPA2 is over a decade, maybe 15 years old. And uh, that's, uh, as I said earlier, this is getting... In internet years, it's a senior citizen and time time, time to be retired, basically. Well, you so, said 10, 15 years old, and I'm like, wow, in internet years, it's like, I think it's dead already, isn't it? <laughs> it should be, yes. We're, we're trying to, that's what we're trying to fix. So the, some of the, the problems when it was, you know, it was the best that we thought we could come up with at the time. WPA2 PSK, the personal mode, uh, we, we, we knew that had problems when we released it. The One of the reasons it was done that way is... Uh, at the time, people were afraid of having access points to any sort of crypto or any sort of you know uh, complex processing, and they wanted to make this handshake be as as empty as possible. Uh, but you know, we've got 15, 16 years of of Moore's law behind us now, and I think access points are 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 pretty pretty beefy, and you know they can handle a handle a little bit of crypto. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to try and fix the fix the issues with came to be known as, you know, the, the WPA2 PSK attack. And also we want to make WPA2 Enterprise be a little bit more uh, robust, uh, easier to use, basically. Mm, okay. So a quick uh, observation here. You, know, you said, you know, we kind of knew PSK was broken when we did WPA2, but it was mm-hmm. it was all about CPU preservation way back in the day? That was the, that was kind of the argument in the, in the, the IEEE. Uh, you know, the, I guess nobody really intentionally designed it to be uh susceptible to a dictionary attack that's just the way it, it came out hmm. but you know as, as soon as the standard was published people you know this 2004 2005 people are already talking about you know w- wi-fi security it's, it's broken you know hmm. no. and it seems like every every year or two uh, somebody you know rediscovers the dictionary attack that's possible against the bpa2 psk and and, and reports on it Oh, so the most recent one is that the crack attack, or was that something else? No, that's that's something else. Crack is completely different. But there, this the the issue is that you know again Moore's law makes these things be much more faster. Uh, people have been coming up with you know FPGA's program to do the dictionary attack against the EPA two PSK, and you know these things are getting faster and faster. And mm. you know it's it's able to, to to break these these PSKs in you know minutes. So, and, you know, somebody will report, oh, you know, I've got this new, new way to, to attack PSK mode. So and what, you're, just, what you're referring to there is a dictionary attack where people just keep 
cycling through attempt uh, login after login or to guess the key phrase over and over and over until they crack it. That's a dictionary attack. Correct. Yeah. So they 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 watch one exchange go by, and then they have all, all the information they they need except for the password, and they just go through you know guess a password, see if it computes these mm-hmm. same string of bits, and if not, they try another one. And that's because the BA two didn't encrypt the key, the initial key at handshake. They didn't use a phase one, phase two type model where the initial key, the key exchange is encrypted. Right. Well, so the, the, the problem was the PSK. So there, there's this thing called a, the PMK, the pairwise master key. Mm. And that's what that's what you get back from your EAP server. And it's supposed to be, you know, a unique thing known only by, mm. you know, the EAP server and the and the client. And that's what's used as the base of this four-way handshake. And the problem with WP2 PSK is they just use the password. You know, the, the, they hash it a little bit with the SSID, but... Uh, <laughs> That doesn't really buy you anything. So, yeah. uh, but but that ends up being the key for the four-way handshake. So, there's a there's a security proof on the four-way handshake, but it it relies upon the publicly available information being, yeah. being you know secret. And if it's if it's guessable, uh, then there we have a dictionary attack. Yeah, and that's the, the interesting thing here is just to digress a little bit. That when the WPA2 vulnerability this discovered, I remember the crypto people at the time basically saying that nobody should let the IEEE ever do a crypto thing ever again because this is a schoolboy <laughs> error. They, they said this is just like this is what we teach first year grads at high school, at well, uh, at college, you know. And that the fact that they made this mistake is actually a pretty damning indictment on the on their complete lack of skill. Uh, well, it followed on their their fiasco with WEP. Do you remember WEP? Yes, we do. <laughs> so, so after WEP, they came up with with you know this PSK mode. It's like, <laughs> 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 okay, Dan. Uh, so WPA three is not a single protocol. One of the things I picked up from your presentation at Atmosphere, there's actually several different aspects to it. Uh, can you, uh, at kind of a high level, talk talk through what those categories are? We basically tried to look at what are the problems with WPA2 and how is it being used and, and misused and abused and, and try and come up with it with something that addresses all of those, those use cases. One of the, one of the problems was uh, WPA2 has just this personal enterprise. It's PSK or it's dot one X and, but it didn't do anything but open. So there's still, you know, lots of places where open networks are, are found. Uh, most, most of them have a captive portal behind them, but there are still some just plain Jane, open and you know that's a problem because people can do uh snooping attacks they can uh, do tcp injection attacks they can do you know all sorts of nasty things they can gather metadata they can uh, you know if yeah, they it's, it's te- text or it's uh, packets in the clear um only they're exactly. in the air so you can you can sniff and grab those mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you, you know if you do a little bit of sh- uh shoulder surfing and let's say you're in some you know public coffee shop, you do a little bit of shoulder surfing, you're able to see, you know, who's this guy on the Mac running Safari that's contacting, or he's browsing CNN.com. Let me figure out what his IP address is. <laughs> and, you know, that's possible because, you know, it's all in the clear. So yeah. that's one of the issues we wanted to address. So we came up with this OWE protocol, which is uh, opportunistic wireless encryption, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. This basically does a unauthenticated Diffie-Hellman to generate a, a a secret, and then that's that's the secret that ends up being used with a four-way handshake. Okay, so we've got open. We're addressing with uh, well, it, with we're not pronouncing opportunistic wireless encryption. We're not going to say oh. We're just going to say OWE. Is that correct? 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, OWE, <laughs> fair enough. Uh, okay, now we've got pre-shared keys, which we were talking about, is being mm-hmm. uh, uh, updated with what? With a thing called SAE. It's the Simultaneous Authentication of Equals. It's kind of a weird name, but the reason it has that weird name is because it was introduced back in... I think I wrote it in 2008 or 2009. It was put into the .11 standard, and it was put in as uh, for mesh security. So uh, .11 mesh points would be talking to each other, forming this this mesh. And uh, you know, we we didn't want to do PSK mode because you know your your mesh is just going to be a joke. Uh, so we wanted something that would be resistant to the dictionary attack that PSK mode is, but we also wanted it to be a true pairwise, or I'm sorry, a true peer to peer protocol. So, you know, it's simultaneous authentication of equals. So the, the idea is that, you know, there in a mesh, there's no client server, there's no station AP, there, there's no role-based relationship like that. Everyone's an equal. And then the nice thing about SAE is that uh, either side could initiate or both of them could initiate at the same time. They would both think that they're the initiator of the protocol. So the, it's, it's a truly pairwise hmm. protocol. Uh, so it's it was introduced for mesh, but it's very easy to map uh, peer-to-peer protocols to uh, role-based like uh, station AP. So that's what we're doing here with WPA3. We're taking SAE and just treating it as a, a station connecting to the to an access point. All right. So we've got that is, and that's going to be addressing, uh, it's going to give us resistance to dictionary-based attacks is what that uh, is, is cor- big problem. That's correct. Okay. Yes. So the, the idea is that uh, resistance to dictionary attack means that uh, the advantage that an adversary gets is through interaction and not computation so if the if the adversary can gain an advantage just by you know spinning his his cycles on a cpu then you're susceptible to a dictionary attack but the nice thing about sae is that the only advantage that the attacker can gain is through interaction so mm-hmm. basically it it requires him to do an active attack and the only thing he learns from an active attack is whether his single guess of the the password is correct or not mm-hmm. and what the nice thing about that is that it allows you to use a much smaller or quote-unquote weaker password so as a for instance let's say that that your password was a number between one and a million right so let's just say it's a six-digit number uh and the attacker knows that so if you're to do psk mode and be able to run through you know a million guesses in a, you know a matter of seconds probably 30 seconds they'll know what your what the password was whereas with sae he's going to do you know he's going to make a guess do SAE fails. Okay, try another guess. Do SAE fails. So it's going to take, if you've got, you know, between one and a million, it's going to take 500,000 active attacks, interactions with the access point before the probability of success is, you know, one half. And it's easy to to identify 500,000 active attacks against your access point, right? So that's the that's the benefit. So you're you're able to use a a much weaker password and still get security. Okay, so we've got uh, open, and now we've got OWE. We've got pre-shared keys mm-hmm. with WPA2. Now we've got uh, SAE, simultaneous authentication of equals. Uh, another right. differentiator that I recall from your presentation, WPA2 Enterprise versus Sweet B, although it's not exactly Sweet B. It was more like, I get the kind of how I remember your presentation was more like inspired by or leaning towards or something to that effect. <laughs> Could you explain that? Sure. So, uh, Sweet B is a thing that the National Security Agency came up with, and they had two levels of of uh, security: one to protect secret data, and one to protect 
top secret data. And it uses AES and it does elliptic curve Diffie-Hellman and elliptic curve digital signatures and, and, and all that good stuff. Uh, so this came out years ago. I mean, this might, might, it, Sweepy might be 10 years old. Uh, and it, it, it had a pretty slow uptake. It was used for military and, and, and things like that. But uh, because military and, and, and government wants to use Wi-Fi, they were looking, you know, how, we, we want to do Sweepy and Wi-Fi. But about that same time, uh, the NSA started becoming concerned with uh, quantum computers. And they basically said, all right, well, you know, this B, this secret stuff is, you know, probably not something anybody should be implementing if they haven't done it yet. So Sweet B sort of got pushed aside. And there's this new thing they called CNSA. It's the uh, commercial national security algorithm, which is basically just the top secret side of Sweet B. So it does... AES GCM with a 256-bit key. It does elliptic curve with a 384-bit elliptic curve. It does ECDSA. Does SHA 384. So you know it's and but the the, the the thing about this is that it has a consistent level of security. So one of the problems with WP2 Enterprise is it's really uh, complex. It's hard to hard to configure, and Sweet B is supposed to you know you have no choices. At all, you turn Sweepy on, and you get that. You get top secret level encryption. Uh, oh, hard to configure in the sense of you've got a lot of choices of the different ciphers. I, I remember this point from your presentation. So WPA2 Enterprise, it is possible to configure some of it securely and some of it insecurely. Like SHA one is still available as an option, which is dead right now. Correct, correct. Or you know, you could you could do. You think you're doing this, you know, deep TLS exchange, and you're doing Diffie Hellman signatures and all the good stuff. But you know, you could do a a really small, you know, weak Diffie-Hellman and sign it with this, you know, huge, you know, RSA key. Or you know, vice versa, you could do this really strong Diffie-Hellman and sign it with this really weak RSA key. So it's like, you know, your the weakest link in this is going to be the, the point of attack. And the idea with Sweet B is that there isn't a weak link. It's all, you know, a consistent level of, of a, you know, it's a constant attack surface. I've got a, you know, an interesting story about this uh, complexity of WPA2. Uh, the, the IETF went to to Beijing several years ago. And, you know, when, when anybody goes to Beijing, the Chinese government wants you to be behind the Great Firewall. But the ITF said, there's absolutely no way we're going to be behind the Great Firewall. So, you know, there's this, who's stronger, the ITF or the, the Communist Party of China. And so they came to a, a compromise. Uh, they said, if you use, like, an open ITF network or you do P PSK on the ITF network, you're behind the Great Firewall. But if you do .1x and EEP, outside the Great Firewall, and the ITFs are going to, you know, you directly route onto the internet. So, you know, here, here I am at the ITF in Beijing, and I'm sitting in the bar on Sunday, you know, right before the ITF starts, and I'm listening to these people. They're like, you know, gods of networking. These guys created the internet. Hmm. They created all the routing protocols. They, they're just geniuses, right? And I'm listening to them struggle. They're like, okay, what am I doing in phase two? Uh, what's my anonymous ID? Should I put my name in my anonymous? That doesn't but that's not anonymous. And, you know, I've got this whole list of CAs, which do, and these guys are struggling to provision .1x on their devices because it's so weird, you know. People don't know what phase two is if you're not familiar with, you know, tunneled EAP methods. And the number of people who are familiar with tunneled EAP methods is, you know, frighteningly small. So it's it, it's it really is hard to provision and... Therefore, it's easy to, to provision wrong. And that's what Sweet B is going to try and address. Mm.
And just again, recalling your presentation, would would it actually be Sweet B, or would it be protocols that are that are like Sweet B? It seems like you had made a distinction there. Uh, well, it's it's now called CNSA. So the, the 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 National Security Agency has come out with a different term for this thing, but it's the it's it's still the same thing as you know the the top secret level of Sweet B is the same as CNSA. So got it. Okay. All right, and one more distinction here. Um, in, the, the certification process so that a device or software becomes WPA3 certified, that testing process is going to be somewhat different as compared to WPA2. Uh, some devices were making it through as WPA2 certified that perhaps should not have been, and the certification is going to get tightened up for WPA3? Uh, yeah, so there was a little bit of problems with certificate chains. Uh, so it turns out that in some complex certificate chains, some implementations were not verifying every single cert in the chain. You know, they'd verify the signer cert and basically the CA cert, you know, the, the first and the last, but they'd ignore intermediate uh, certificates. And if one of the certificates was, was expired, the uh, the authentication should fail, and it didn't. So, you know, without naming names, there was enough uh, certified devices that, that did this wrong that they've changed the the testing now so that they're actually going to include a complex certificate chain in some of the tests and if the you know expire one of the intermediate certificates and if the device under test occasion then it fails the test and doesn't get certified so yeah because that chain should be that you you've you've got a, a break of trust if that uh, if some intermediate certificate authority shouldn't no longer be in the chain that's right. correct yeah yeah so everything everything beneath that is now suspect, and you shouldn't be authenticating anybody with a with a suspect certificate. There was something tied to protected management frames as well, as I recall. Correct. Yeah. So so PMF came out with the eleven uh, W amendment, and that came out. Geez, I don't remember. 2011, 12, 14. I don't remember. It was a while ago. And when it came out, the Wi-Fi lines decided to make uh, PMF compliance be optional, so you could get certified. Uh, for WPA2 uh, and not do it. And, you know, most people don't do optional stuff. If it's optional, they're not going to do it. And so it's all that, they just want to get certified, right? So the problem was very few people were implementing PMF. And it's actually pretty valuable and, and important. So if the Wi-Fi Alliance wants to, you know, use this as an opportunity to uh, to make PMF mandatory to force people to basically do the right thing. I always cringe when reading, reading RFCs and it says should instead of must. Like, oh, no. <laughs> mm. Yeah, well, you know, there's, a, there's an RFC about that. <laughs> there's an RFC that defines what the words are supposed to mean and, and yeah, how you're supposed to use them. I always, I always see should and go, we wish. <laughs> we are <laughs> print. Exactly. <laughs> right, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, really, yeah. So, Dan, did we cover the major differences that uh, WPA3 is bringing to the table? That is uh, open, now going to be opportunistic wireless encryption. PSK will now be uh, simultaneous authentication of equals. Uh, mm-hmm. WPA2 Enterprise will now be uh, Sweet B and then improved certification testing. Does that sum it up, or is there something else we should discuss? Well, yeah, let me... WPA2 Enterprise doesn't actually become Sweet B. Sweet B, or CNSA, I guess we could call it, is, a, is an optional uh, component. So... You, so WPA3 Enterprise is basically WPA2 Enterprise plus and PMF. So you Got can it. get WPA3 Enterprise certified and not do Suite B. 
but Sweepy is an optional certification program on top of WP3 Enterprise. Understood. Okay. Thank you for that distinction. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, okay. So does that, does, is, so if, if I hear WPA3 and these topics that we've talked about, do I have a pretty good idea of all of it? Or is there any, any other aspect we've missed? No, I think that's it. Okay. Uh, you know, Modulo, some issues with OWE that we can get into when we start talking about OWE, but there is some, some opposition to OWE and the people, some people in the Wi-Fi lines don't like it and they don't want to do it. And so. Well, let, let's, let's have that conversation that I do want to talk okay. about OWE. Um, again, opportunistic wireless encryption. This would be instead of walking in and having a wide open, uh, network an open wireless mm -hmm. network that you have to join, no encryption, no authentication. You just get on the thing. Um, this instead would give you, uh, encryption without you as the end user having to do anything as I understand. And that, that strikes me as a big win for privacy, uh, for the general public. Is that a, a fair observation to make? Oh yeah, absolutely. It's, it, it, it is a big win. And the, the great thing about it is that, uh, users are none the wiser, you know, they're, they don't have to learn anything new. Mm -hmm. They don't have to learn about security. They don't have to anything new to configure. It just happens. So it, it used to be open. Now it's encrypted, and you know they're they're getting a lot of people complain about security because you know when you get more security, it's more complexity and more and and, and they hate it. So they turn security off, and that's a big problem. So this is this is a case where you know you're getting more security and not having to do anything about it. I think it's a I think it's a huge win. No, we're saying security, but that would be distinct from secure in that it, it doesn't require authentication. As we just said, the end user doesn't have to do a thing. Right. Um, so they have more security, but it is distinct from calling it secure. Is that true? That's, yeah, I think that, I think that's that's fair. It's it's definitely not secure in that sense. There is no authentication, so the access point doesn't know who's connecting to it, and the user doesn't know he's connecting to the right access point. You know, it could be a, a rogue AP or a man in the middle or something like that. The, all they know is that you know there's a device out there that I'm connected to or who's connected to me, and we share a secret that nobody else in the world knows. Okay, well, that actually leads me to another question here, because why is OWE more secure than sharing a posted password in a public place, like like on a placard at a restaurant table or, you know, nailed up on the bulletin board, mm -hmm. that kind of a thing? Okay, so we were just talking about dictionary attacks, right? So a dictionary attack is where you see this exchange go by, and you've got to do all this number crunching to figure out the password. Well, in this case, you know what the password is. You just read it on the menu, or, you know, you looked at it on the chalkboard. So all you have to do is watch someone do the four-way handshake, and you know, plug in the, the the password that you read off the menu, and you can determine what these people's tra uh, traffic encryption keys are. So you can, you know, you, you've just—it's no better than open. Then uh, any attacker can forge frames. He can modify frames. He can replay frames. You know, it's a—it's no better than open. A, a, a teeny bit more effort required, but uh, but known. It's very well known how to do that attack and be able to decrypt right. those frames. Right. And, and because we're talking about WPA2, PMF is not mandatory. So, you know, if you, if you didn't have the opportunity to watch the four-way handshake, you can just forge it the authentication frame to the client and make it look like it came from the AP. He'll reset his .1x state machine or .11 state machine, and he'll go through the four-way handshake again. The user's none the wiser. You know, this is all going to happen, you know, oh, boom, boom, okay. boom. And he's, <laughs> right. he's, he's re, he's, he just reconnected. He just, you know, there might've been a slight hiccup, but you know, yeah. Wi-Fi wi -Fi sucks and it's free and, you know, whatever, right? You, you need so, certain pieces of information to be able to pull the attack off, but if you don't have them because you weren't sniffing at the time, like you, you mm -hmm. again, forge a de-authentication frame, force that client correct. you're trying to get in, get into or 
trying to see their traffic, I should say, to reauthenticate. Mm-hmm. Oh, now I've got that information. Oh, and I know the key. So now I'm yep, all set. Exactly. I can decrypt That's their friends. Exactly. Yeah. That is yeah. exactly it. So OWE is better than that because, because again, you know, this using a shared public PSK is no better than open and OWE is better than open. Uh, as I mentioned with OWE, they do a Diffie Hellman. So there's only two people in the entire world that will know the resulting secret. That's the station and the access point. And that, that guarantee is, is very powerful, I think. Okay, so that now we're at a place where you can't just run a dictionary attack. You can't do a de-authenticate, re-authenticate, force it, capture data, and you know, in, infer any information that way. Uh, but, and, but you could start up a, a rogue AP, and you could advertise the SSID of the coffee shop or the restaurant or whatever, and you could induce people to do OWE to you. So and my pineapple's still going to work is what you're telling me. Yes, Yes. Okay. <laughs> right. So it's not a, it's not an end, end guarantee. It's not a, um, uh, it, you can still do the man in the middle attack and so on. But again, you're, you're really forcing the attacker to do, uh, more work to, to make all of that happen. That is correct. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And so, and, and so that's part of the reason why I think a lot of people don't like OWE because, you know, as, as you mentioned, you know, it adds security, but it's not quote unquote secure. And I think people, uh, are feeling uh, squeamish about promoting a, a a security protocol that isn't "quote unquote" secure, you know, because it doesn't do authentication. But mm. you know, the, the use case that it's that it's addressing is a use case that was very very poorly served by WPA2, and that's why people write PSKs on a chalkboard or put them on a menu. You know, if it's if something's embossed in a menu, it's the password's not going to change, right? <laughs> so. Uh, but the reason people did that is because they didn't have any any better choice, right? So OWE is just fitting a, a it's not really a niche use case because it's very, very popular mm. use case, but it's a very isolated, specific use case. So, so some people don't like it for these reasons that you've cited. Does that mean it is on the bubble as whether or not it's actually going to be included in WPA3 or, or are there just some naysayers? No, I think that's a that's a good way to put it. It's on the bubble. Uh, I mean, it's going to be there's going to be something about o, about OWE, whether it's you know put out with the same level of fanfare as you know Sweet B and SAE is uh, r- remains to be seen. But you know, the, I I think this is very valuable. You know, you you said you know it's a, a big win for for privacy, and and, and I agree. So you know, if, if there's anybody listening that you know thinks that this is a great idea, you know, shares your your view and my view, uh, please contact your, your device manufacturer. If you buy, you know, devices in bulk and you think that this would be a good idea, give them a call. Say, Hey, when are you doing OWE? Yeah. I I mean, I do think it's a good idea. I, I, I like the idea of having more privacy when I'm in a public place Uh, at the moment. I don't like going on a open access point, even if it's behind a portal, I just would prefer to, not, you know, I'll tend to, to tether something like that, which is arguably that's, um, at least I've got encryption to the point that I tethered to before it heads off to the cell tower. So I've got something there and of course I could VPN and so on. Um, you know, but, but I would feel, I, I want that, the barrier of someone being able to capture my frames and decrypt them to be high enough to be annoying that unless I am a specific target, no one's probably going to bother because it's just too hard. So why bother? That's right. It's raising the bar, you know, and, and rogue APs are 
somewhat, I don't want to say it's easy to detect, but uh, if you're an access point and you're beaconing out, you know, coffee shop and you notice that there's somebody else beaconing out coffee shop, uh, you know, that's a problem, right? And it's easy for access points to, to detect other access points. I mean, every, every modern AP has this, has this feature. Uh, so it, there are mitigations that can be made against the, you know, uh, rogue APs and things like that. You know, one, one of the, the other, you know, complaints against OWE is I, I don't think people realize that opportunistic encryption is something that security researchers have been doing for probably a decade. There was a working group in the ITF called Buttons, BTNS. It was better than nothing security. It was basically, you know, setting up a VPN with, you know, with no password. You know, opportunistic yeah. IPsec. Yeah, you know, better than nothing. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you know, th there's, there's a lot of, you know, Adam Langley had a paper called Opportunistic Encryption Everywhere. This was published in 2008 or 2009 or something like that. I mean, this is this is things that security researchers have been doing for a long time. We're just trying to bring it to, to dot eleven. And I think some people who aren't security researchers or you know security aware uh, kind of went, "Oh my god, you know this isn't secure." It's like, well, yeah, I know that. You know, Why? we know that. We've been we've been talking about this for ten years. Yes, we know that. <laughs> we know what we're doing. You know, it, it's so, not, not perfect. Yeah. Doesn't mean it, it has no value though, just because it's not perfect. There is lots of exactly, scenarios where exactly. it's useful. I'm, yeah. but, but I'm just, you know, this trying to characterize the, mm. some of the opposition that is, you know, arising from, from adding OWE to, to WP3. So if we do um, end up with OWE and WPA3, would there be a, a visual indication, me as an end user that I'm connected to an OWE uh, SSID? Let, let's, I guess we could put it that way instead of just regular open. Well, you know, when when we came up with OWE, we were talking about that. You know, I, I met with a bunch of handset vendors and said, you know, you guys employ cognitive scientists that uh, look at how people visualize things. So, you know, I'm just an AP vendor, right? I, I don't know anything about about that stuff. You guys come up with a with a, a visual cue, and one of the jokes was, well, why don't we make open mode have a skull and crossbones, and <laughs> OWE will have nothing, and then you know. SAE has the lock and it's, you know, that, that, that got a chuckle out of me too. No, no one's right, going to put skull crossbones on their, on their handset, but. You don't want so, to put the lock on OWE because it isn't secure in the same way that a truly authenticated encrypted session is. It's would right. maybe send a, you know, the wrong message. That is that. And also when, when you, when users see the lock, they don't, they don't really think security. They think, Oh, I need a, I need a password. That's, that's right? what I think. Yeah, sure. And so, yeah. And so, and so we don't want them to say, oh, well, you know, I don't have a password, so I guess I can't connect to that network. They can connect to that network. So one of the things that uh, that we realized when we you know, first brought up an, an OWE AP is that we wanted to check what, what the legacy devices do when they see an OWE AP. You know, you'd think that they go, oh, well, I, don't, I don't recognize this, this uh, AKM suite, so I'll, I'll just ignore it. No, they didn't. Uh, some some legacy devices thought the OWE AP was open, tried to connect and failed, and other ones thought it was a PSK network and popped up a message saying, "What's the PSK?" So both of those are going to give a very poor user experience, right? And mm -hmm. you know, the funny thing is, uh, there was one large vendor who makes I won't mention who it is, but you know, this large vendor makes phones and they also make tablets, and the phone and the tablet behave differently. One of them thought it was open, one of them thought it was PSK. So you know. Even with a single vendor, we were getting you know all over the map. So what we came up with was a transition mode 
for OWE. Basically, what it does is it clones a hidden SSID for OWE. So what happens is the open network is still being beaconed out while it's in transition mode. And so the user is just going to see open. But if he's got an OWE-capable handset, there's going to be an information element in that beacon that says, uh, if you're OWE capable, don't connect to me. Connect to my my twin here, and this is his his SSID. And so the, an OWE network will go okay, or OWE handset will say okay. You know, I won't connect to open. He'll connect to the the hidden SSID, and he'll do OWE, and, and everything's fine. So to the user, it still looks like the open network. They don't they don't have any indication that transition mode exists. Uh, but as handsets become more OWE capable, the number of people actually connecting to the open network is going to drop and drop and drop and drop. And then the idea is you just turn off open, and the OWE network assumes the SSID from the from the open network. And so again, you know, the the user went from completely open to you know mixed open OWE to completely OWE, and nobody's none the wiser, right? I was just, uh, well, first of all, so it's like an HTTP 302. Just redirect, go over here. <laughs> one thought. But I was, then I was laughing because I was like, well, yeah, we'll never shut off the open because backwards compatibility. But then again, it's a little different of a problem. This is a software-only change. I, correct, correct me if I'm wrong here. I don't have to have a, you know, a, a client radio that's capable of this. This is, this is software. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's all, it's all in the supplicants, probably, you know, it could be user space if you've got a user space kernel space uh, uh, distinction in your in your device. But yeah, it's all software. That means there is hope of broad adoption because it's way easier than you know the the, the horrible situation we have now with clients where oh I've still got that thermostat running dot eleven B so I got to <laughs> keep that turned on my access point. It's we should have much better adoption than uh, trying to support these all these ancient legacy radios that we have out there. Exactly. You know, it, you know, everybody wants to get the latest and greatest tablet or the latest and greatest phone or the latest and greatest laptop. So, uh, and even, you know, laptops and phones can be, can be remotely updated. So it, it's, it, I think that this is a, a unique opportunity to get change, you know, to affect change, uh, on, in wireless networks. We could easily roll out, uh, and users are, you know, oblivious to it. I, I think it's a it's a huge win. Mm. Mm. And and then maybe it goes by, back to like you said, it's it's got a maybe a bit of a marketing challenge. And so if you've got the end user community that wants this, that will mm-hmm. put the onus on the manufacturers to get the software updated and support this. Um, yeah. The other thing to keep in mind is there's no downside. There's no downside at OWE. It's it's. There's only an upside. Some people may disagree on, you know, how big that upside is, uh, but there is absolutely no downside. So I don't understand what. You know, why would you not want to do something good? <laughs> well, there's probably someone listening right now who's who's deep in the guts of of code or access point. Uh, uh, CPUs or whatever, maybe slamming their fist, going, "Dan, if you could hear me now!" But, but I guess you guys have probably <laughs> had some of those conversations behind closed doors. Well, so the other thing is, OWE is really simple to to implement. I mean, there's if you're looking at code, there's already code in your code base that does an, as, an association, and all you got to do is add another blob of bits. There's an and it's all TLVs, right? So you know, at the end of your association request, you just add one of these things. And when you get the association response, you parse it for this TLV and go, okay, now I've got the, 
the APs. And you, you do a Diffie-Hellman, which, you know, any crypto library has these APIs for it already. I mean, it, OWE is bloody easy. It's the, I, 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 it's the easiest thing to, to implement. Let's pause the podcast for just a moment to remind you of our sponsor, Paceler, makers of the PRTG Network Monitor. Now, if you're remembering the free PRTG tool from many years ago, and it was this fun little thing that's useful, but not really for grownups, it, you have really lost track of Paceler. PRTG is this very serious, full-blown network monitoring solution that integrates with many different parts of your IT stack. When they came up on our radar ooh, a year or so ago and began talking to us about what they were doing, it's like, oh, wow, this is not the PRTG I remember at all. PRTG is many things. It offers a powerful alerting system. There are several different interfaces that you can use to access all of its data, including there's a web interface and a Windows native interface, iOS and Android. Uh, PRTG has a clustering option, and then they have application support for all different sorts of apps like uh, Apache and Oracle, for instance. Uh, there's a map designer feature with over 300 different types of map objects. Uh, they got distributed monitoring with remote probes, really handy if you're in a WAN environment. Um, there's a SaaS option if you don't want to have to house PRTG internally. There's detailed reporting and, and more. It, it is, uh, again, a, a serious network monitoring system well worth adding to your bake-off list, and you can try out the unrestricted version free for 30 days. All right, this is PRTG. So how do you find them? If you just Google PRTG, they're right at the top of the list there. Or you can head to Paceler.com, P-A-E-S-S-L-E-R, Paceler.com. And now back to the show. Well, I was reading through RFC 8110 in preparation for the show. And it goes through, at a high level, what the signaling looks like to set up the encrypted channel. In fact, that's a fairly significant amount of what that RFC defines. Can we can we mm -hmm. talk about that at a high level? Um, I mean, sure. If, if we got into every bit and bite it, it'd be you know a little heavy. But um, you know, but but keeping it up right. high, what what does that what does that look like? Okay, so so at a high level, you know, the the access point is going to be sending out. He sends out beacons every you know the default I think is is ten per second, and uh, if you if you have security enabled, uh, the beacons include something called an RSN element, which is the robust secure network. And that's how they advertise that they want to do .1x or PSK, and now they're going to say, or OWE. So in this beacon, the the access point will be saying, I'm, I'm an OWE-compliant uh, access point, or this is an OWE SSID, basically. Which, it sounds like it's just be another... Um another definition in a field there, the field already exists because it announces other sorts of security. Now it's, here's another exactly. type, OWE. Exactly. So there's, you know, all of this stuff is, is advertised with these authentication and key management. Uh, it's like a magic number, basically. You know, uh, one is .1x, two is PSK, and, you know, the 11R FT handshake, I think is like six and seven, and SAE, I think might be, nine you know owe is i don't know 14 or i don't know you know I, th these numbers are probably wrong but it, it's, it's it's that simple it's just a different number in this this field saying i'm doing sae or i'm doing psk or i'm doing owe so then the you know the, sta the station's going to see this and go oh, okay owe so when i associate to him i have to include this new diffie hellman field in my associate request so Again, these Diffie-Hellman stuff is in every crypto library is going to have an API to do Diffie-Hellman. So you basically just you know get my Diffie-Hellman public key and you 
So again, this is, you mentioned TLVs. Um, that mm -hmm. that's so we're going to add this this element, this um, yes. Diffie Hellman element as the client, and and send that back to the uh, the access to, point. To the AP, yeah, right. And th the AP is going to get that, and he's going to validate it, and he's going to generate his own, and then he'll do a Diffie Hellman and generate a, a secret. And then he sends his public key to us in the associate response. So there, you know, it's it's still the same old. .11 association request response that it's always been. We're just overlaying this Diffie-Hellman key exchange on top of it. So when the, the client then gets the AP's associate response, he's going to get the AP's Diffie-Hellman public key, and then he'll pass that with his it into the crypto API, and he'll get back a secret. And that secret then you use for the four-way handshake, and you know once the, the associate request response is done, the next step is the four-way handshake and the AP will initiate that, but they'll use the secret derived from the, the Diffie-Hellman as the secret to input into the four-way handshake. And again, that secret's only known um, b between those two, that AP and that client, and it's unique for their exchange. That's right. Out of all the billions and billions of devices in the world, yes, only those two know what the secret is. And so now the, when the four-way handshake is done, now we're using those encryption keys that have been established and we are encrypting our, uh, our data going back and forth between these two. That's correct. And nobody else will be able to determine what your encryption keys are, which is so, the, yeah. that's the, the benefit. Yeah, you really did make a strong case that it, it you know, I, whatever. I'm not a guy that codes uh, for access points, et cetera, but... You, you made the point that really we're just piggybacking off of known processes and known protocols. We're augmenting them with a new uh, Diffie-Hellman process, and that Diffie-Hellman process is well-known anyway. Mm -hmm. It's not like that's new code that's got to be invented or brought into whatever the code base would be. We're just leveraging something we've already got. Diffie-Hellman key exchange was invented in 77, I think. Yeah. Okay. By, by Diffie and with Diffie and Martin Hellman invented that thing, you know, <laughs> long time before i think a lot of your listeners have been born so yeah. <laughs> diffie hellman is, is very well established and yeah. associate request response is part of the dot 11 state machine nothing nothing changes we're just mm. overlaying this this very well known and very well understood uh exchange on top of an existing uh exchange if no, that makes sense. It, it, no, absolutely, it does. Um, now, RFC 8110, I believe you were the primary author of that. You weren't the only one. Mm -hmm. There was, uh, oh, I just forgot his name, but a gentleman at, at Google Warren, as well. Warren, Warren Kumari, yes. Okay, so now that is listed as an informational draft. So is there a need or a plan to put it on the IETF standards track, or is the standards development organization work for WPA3, including uh, OWE, is that all going to stay within the Wi-Fi Alliance, IEEE? How does that work? Well, so... Yeah, it is an informational RFC, but that's because the difference between informational standards track is uh, whether it represents the consensus of the internet community. And OWE has decided that it did not represent the consensus of the internet community, so you know we only got informational. <clears throat> but it's still a standard. Uh, it's a it's a published, referenceable document, uh, and people can can implement it, uh, even though it's it's informational. Hmm. So it it. it the, the SDO is still the IETF. They have defined a, a standard, uh, 8110, and the OW and uh, Wi-Fi Alliance is just referencing that that standard. Uh, if uh, it, interestingly, uh, 
the HMAC RFC is also informational. Hmm. But you know, everybody implements HMAC, right? Yeah. So HMAC HMAC got a got a uh, sort of a dispensation. One of the one of the issues in the IETF is that uh, a standards track RFC cannot reference an informational RFC. But informational RFCs can re- reference standards That's track. Nice. So HMAC being informational, uh, you know, how do all of these standards track RFCs uh, reference it then? Well, it got a kind of special dis- dispensation from the, the IETF gods. But uh, that, the point is that uh, informational doesn't mean uh, that it's not a standard. It just means that it's a standard that does not represent the consensus of the internet community, you know, whatever that's supposed to mean. It was. It's enough to be informational. That is to say, enough people agreed that this was worth publishing. It's like a wiki page. Somebody yes. published it, and enough people went, "Yeah," but not enough to take it through to a full blown standard. Not right. that they're, they're doing a better it, job of approving standards. But in the old days, the ITF would say, mm, "Let's not bother. It's just we're done. We're using it. Good enough. Move on." Or nobody's going to get a hold of that. We won't bother moving it to a standard. You couldn't tell whether something was nobody likes it, so they didn't take it to a standard, or everybody liked it and everybody was using it and then just gave up on doing it as a standard because everybody knew that they were using it as a standard as long as you were in the club and you were right. one of the special people who knew what was happening. So that's that's uh, a confusion, I think. It's, you know, it, again, and also uh, 8110 didn't go through an ITF working group. It was an individual submission. And it's very difficult to get uh, mm. standards track for individual submissions. It, it has happened, but it requires a lot of heavy lifting. Uh, there was a, we were contemplating bringing the draft, well, before it became an RFC, into a working group called Capport, which is Captive Portal. They're trying to to fix all the problems that people have with Captive Portals, and we thought, well, OWE is a perfect fit for for that. But uh, I guess it was just impatience. You know, we wanted to get it get eighty one ten published and 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 out there. Uh, and I think Capport was, hmm. you know, it might have been a good fit. It would have taken some advocacy to get it adopted by the working group, and then you know, who knows when it would have been been published capport is still working on whether captive portal stuff so uh, but we wanted to get 8110 published and it was actually pretty quickly you know went from draft to re- revised draft revised draft to published standard so yeah so do, so um, backing out from owe specifically which is what 8110 is all about etc do we have a sense dan of how long it's going to take wpa3 itself all of the things we talked about at the top of the show how long is it going to take for that to become an official spec and when we're going to see product support and so on uh, we're going to see product support later this year. Uh, I can't give you a, I don't think the exact date that Aruba will be putting out WPA3. The, the exact date is, is determined by people above my pay grade, but uh, it will be this year. It'll be later later this year. Okay. Uh, and I, th- I think other vendors will are, are going to be doing the same. Uh, the Wi-Fi Alliance is a very secretive organization. Everything's done with NDAs. So, uh, I don't have any insight into you know who's in the queue to be certified. If there is anybody, maybe there you know nobody's trying to get certified right now. Maybe there's five people in the queue. I don't know. Uh, but the the spec is done. Uh, I don't think they're going to publish it until until the program launches. And I don't think they've aside from the you know the January teaser, uh, they haven't started the official rollout yet. But uh, once that's done, uh, and that's again on Wi-Fi Alliance's. Uh, schedule. I don't know what what their schedule is, but once that's done, I think that there there will be a published spec. Uh, again, OWE is is eighty one ten, but SAE is is already in the dot eleven standard. I put it in the standard in again with the, the mesh amendment in two thousand seven or eight. So uh, you know 
if people want to look at the dot eleven standard, they could see SAE. Uh, the the SAE key exchange is something called Dragonfly, which is a uh, it's a zero it's a key exchange based upon a zero knowledge proof that I came up with, and that that's in RFC seventy six sixty four. So if people want a kind of high level view of what the the SAE key exchange looks like, they could look at RFC seventy six sixty four. If they want to see the the nuts and bolts of how it works, they can look at the dot eleven standard. Also, uh, Sweet B was, I, I added Sweet B to the dot eleven standard uh, as part of the AC amendment back in I don't remember when that came out twelve or thirteen something like that. But so Sweet B is in dot eleven, uh, SAE is in dot eleven, uh, and OWE is RFC eighty one ten. Yeah, so, so you're just making the point there that all the, all the major components that are going to go into WPA three are in standard or in SDO documents in some form or another already. Correct. I think we covered all of them. Yeah. That's correct. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Okay. Okay. Well, Dan, that was a lot of information. We did a, a great uh, overview and, and and more on WPA3. Uh, it's good to know that it's coming. It's coming soon. And uh, we'll wait for the official announcements from the Wi-Fi Alliance about uh, mm-hmm. when devices are going to be certified and, you know, and all of that. So this has been great. And we really thank you very much for your time. Now, we, we were talking thank offline you. here that... Uh, you're not really social, particularly, and so on. But uh, but but I know that uh, you, you might do some blogging up at Aruba. So if you're part of the Airheads community, you might find some more advanced thoughts there. And of course, RFC eighty one ten is public. Just go get it. We'll have a link to in the show notes yes, if please. you want to read that uh, and so on. Uh, so Dan, again, thank you very much for coming on the show today, and uh, and thanks to all of you for listening to Packet Pushers. You can find this. Yes, and thank uh, you very much. Oh, you, it, was, it was great. Thank you. You're welcome. You can find this in many more of our fine free technical podcasts along with our community blog. That is all at packetpushers.net. You can tweet to us at Packet Pushers. We are on LinkedIn. You can follow us there. And if you would, uh, take a minute, rate us on Apple Podcasts. That helps us in the global podcast rankings. And, uh, and, and in all sincerity, when you rate us, it brings our show to the attention of other people that might learn from uh, a show like this. Last but not least... Remember that too much networking would never be enough.